You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Always appreciated. And I am joined, of course, as always, by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how you doing tonight? Hey, how you doing, Glenn? Good evening, Jet Nation. Uh, I'm doing good, Alex. Uh, pretty excited because uh, a a major stepping stone or a, a, a landmark in the offseason in the pre-draft process has just passed us by as the, the senior bowl has been played in Orlando. We'll have a few names to talk about there. Guys who jumped out uh, a few surprise guys, a few guys that I know I'm sure it's the case with everybody. One or two guys that you kind of were somewhat aware of. And then you are, and then boom, they just jumped out. You're seeing them on, you know, all over pro bowl, practice week and tweets from this writer and that writer and then some of them stand out in the game so uh we'll talk about some of those guys we'll talk about the jets not so much the salary cap situation as a whole but we're going to look at some of the guys who have just bloated contracts and and discuss whether or not that should be a a warning sign for teams because it really is alex it it, it gets ugly it, even over the last if you look at the last five ten years of uh being a jets fan those big deals, a lot of times they don't work out. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. I, I want what I want to do, Alex. Do another thing. I want to look at, you know, Joe Douglas. This will be his first full off season as a Jet GM, and it really can't get a lot worse than uh, than what we've seen in recent years uh, under Mike McCagnan and John Idzik. Now, Mike McCagnan, for my money, uh, did a far better job than John Idzik. Um, you know, some people say McCagnan had more drafts, and to that I say yes, that's because McCagnan didn't have a a draft in which he had 12 picks and threw most of them away. Um, but that's a, you know we'll, we'll get a little bit into that a little bit more later on. And uh, some news on the Jamal Adams front. And why don't we lead with that, Alex? It, it's not a, it's not a huge breaking story, but there was. There were some comments made by Jamal Adams, which he then doubled back and clarified a little in regards to his contract situation with the Jets. Alex, why don't you update us on that? Yeah, yeah. so just uh, within the last maybe two hours, I want to say, um, Jamal Adams made a comment that was uh, – it was a retweet comment, and I want to get it right here, so I'm pulling it up so we can – credit who the individual that that put it in um al oh al ian iazoni i believe and he came out and he's from the new day sports uh website and he says here that contract uh, negotiations or extension talks um have begun, and it sounds very confident that something will be done. 
um, in which Jamal retweeted off of that and basically said that the conversation has started. The, the talk has been relatively small discussions, but Jamal feels that uh, or expects that an extension will happen this offseason and that he wants to be in New York. So very, very positive, um, very good um, as far as everything that had happened last year uh, with the whole trade deadline fiasco. So um, it does look like this is trending in the right direction for 33 in the Jets. Yeah, we'll see where that leads us. Uh, and I think that, you know, as I've said before, I would love to have Jamal locked up long term. He's a guy that uh, you, you know, I, I think I've said this before on the show, Alex, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again. There are a fair number of fans, far more than you would expect, for a, an all-pro player in year three who is a all who is an all-pro second team in year two. I mean, th- these are the guys that when you make draft picks, this is what you hope for, no matter what position, multiple-time all-pro or even at that level. Uh, a lot of Jets fans still have a lot of animosity toward Jamal Adams. Um, they blame him for the fact that Mike McCagnan took him over Mahomes, over Watson. And listen, I get it, but be mad at Mike McCagnan. Like, the number of fans that I still see refer to Jamal, Jamal Adams as a strong safety. The guy plays everywhere. The guy plays strong safety. He plays free safety. He plays slot corner. They line him up at outside linebacker. He plays the boundary from time to time. The guy does everything. That's why he is an all-pro. I feel like Jamal Adams gets more love from non-Jets fans than he does from a lot of quote-unquote Jets fans. Um, And it's pretty disgusting, if I'm being honest. Even though I've said in the past, Jamal has said and done some things that rub me the wrong way. I think he kind of. I think the leadership label. I don't bestow that on him the way others do, because no matter how the trade deadline stuff unfolded, the way he handled it to me was not becoming of a leader. But I don't care because there are other guys on that roster who are leaders. You've got Mosley. You've got McClendon. Doesn't have to be Jamal, but he's still a fantastic player that I would love to see locked up long term. But my question to you, Alex. If you're Joe Douglas and you're you're entering these negotiations, how high are you willing to go for Jamal Adams, who's yes, he is listed as a safety, but we all know he does a lot more than that. How much are you willing to pay for this guy? Uh well I came up with a figure, um and I right off the bat I want to say seventy five million on a five year deal which will be about $15 million per, is where I think the contract should be. Uh, the, you know, the reason that I'm saying this is because I believe Eddie Jackson is getting um, – Eddie Jackson, the free safety from Chicago, just was recently extended, and he was a third-round pick, phenomenal player, and I think he's around 13 to $14 million a year, somewhere around the $70 million mark. So in my mind, and I think in the mind of many – Jamal is the number one safety in the league, uh, so he should be paid as such. Um, very reminiscent to how the Revis contract was uh, years ago. But, yeah, that's where I have him. I have him at around $15 million a year, uh, about $75 million in total. I don't know how you want to work out the guaranteed money. We'll leave that for Joe to do. 
but uh, I think that he's being paid seven million this year, so it'll be an additional eight million to throw on top of that, which isn't a whole lot. But if you think about where our cap situation is, if I'm Joe Douglas, this is something that I believe that they backed themselves into with the whole trade deadline fiasco. So in order to save face with the the fan base and Jamal and everyone, he has to do this. And I I think it's kind of a kicker because as you and I both know, we've talked about the Jets around 51 to 52 million um, in cap space right now. So subtract another eight from that for Jamal. And we're looking at around 42 to 43 million to completely figure out how to, you know, fix all the wrongs on this team. So it's good and it's bad in both scenarios. I know I seem like I'm flip-flopping here, but you can look at both sides of it and say it might be too soon when you're looking at the money aspect that the Jets have. But as far as getting one of the best players in the league signed long-term, it's definitely a good thing. So, Yeah, and as far as the money goes, it is what, it's, what it is right now. But as we've said before, with the expected cap increase and the projected cuts, the Jets will be at about $80 million over the, under the cap. Um, if you want to bump Jamal up for another seven, eight million, that still puts him at seventy million over the cap. But they're going to have to get creative. Uh, you know, as we've said before, they have the space for two, at least in my mind, if they're going to stay, you know, sort of not go off the rails and 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 go up against the the edge of the cap. I think you can add two big ticket guys, and then you know some some mid to lower level guys beyond that, and then you got to draft well. And listen, as as is the case, Alex, with you, with me, and with the majority of fans who, who love football as much as we do, we love the draft. We love the draft. I mean, on, barring a situation where the Jets are looking to add a quarterback, and I'm sure every fan base is like this. What is everyone? Trade down and add picks. Tra- I want my GM to come out of this draft with 26 new players. And even if you did that, they'd be like, oh, there's a few guys we missed out on. Everybody wants 100 picks. I said the the, the Jets, Alex, right now the Jets have two third-round picks. And when I mull through in my head what they can do with those picks, you would think they have 17 third-round picks. The number of names that are stacked up in my head, oh, they can get this guy in the third, they can get this guy in the third, they can get this guy in the third. And I have to remind myself, it's two. You got two third-rounders. Not 22 third-rounders. Two. But then, of course, there's the the ever-looming possibility of dealing Le'Veon Bell. Uh, looking less and less likely that Jamal will be dealt. I'm not going to back away from that and do the revisionist history thing. I said at, with the trade deadline fiasco, I thought he would be gone. That was based largely on him really just spending a good three, four, five days trashing the team, trashing the GM, calling them liars. Um, I thought that would end ugly. It looks like they've kind of smoothed that out. But uh, listen, Alex, we know the names. We know the swings, the misses, the busts. But just, just, just for everyone's listening pleasure or displeasure, we're going to talk about Joe Douglas, what he's got to do. But let's run through the last two GMs and the draft picks they've made. So many without commentary, because it, it's really, well, we'll try to stick to one, two, maybe three words per player. 
because we really don't have the time for every single guy. But um, John Idza came on board. He ran the 2013 draft, and it looked a lot. It, it, here's how that unfolded. D. Milner, wasted pick. Sheldon Richardson, got some picks for him. Geno Smith, wasted pick. Brian Winters, good player, injured too often, but the best of the bunch by far. Ode Ibushi, wasted pick. William Campbell, wasted pick. Tommy Bohannon, started some games, but he's a fullback. All right, the, Largely, uh, you can't say a wasted pick because he started some games and he was a seventh rounder, but really, gone after a couple years. 2014, Calvin Pryor, disaster. Jason Morrow, disaster. Dexter McDougal, waste. Jalen Saunders, garbage. Shaq Evans, never saw the field. Dakota Dozier, hey, there's one who's still in the league. One of my favorites. Jeremiah George, wasted pick. Didn't make sense at the time, doesn't make sense now. Brandon Dixon, wasted pick. Quincy Nunwa, best player he drafted, can't stay on the field. I can and Polly, best thing he did was knock out the guy he drafted the year before. <laughs> Taj Boyd, wasted pick. Trevor Riley, wasted pick. That was the John Idzik disaster. And you bring in Mike McCagnan, Leonard Williams. Not a bad player. Didn't live up to billing. Devin Smith. Couldn't stay on the field. Gone. Lorenzo Malden. Gone. Bryce Petty. Gone. Jarvis Harrison. Gone. Deion Simon. Gone. I thought he could have been a good depth player. Last I saw, he was a Packers. He was a Packers practice squad last time I saw. Darren Lee. Huge disappointment. Christian Hackenberg. Worst pick of that. Of the McCagnan era. Jordan Jenkins. Good player. I think he walks. Justin Burris. Doing a nice job at safety for the Browns. Jets should have given him a look there. I said that many times before they let him go. Didn't happen. Sorry, that was a lot more than three words. Brandon Shell Probably walks. Lack Edwards. Damn good punter. Sharon Peak Gone. Then you get the last, the last few drafts, which weren't nearly as bad. Although, 2017, you got Jamal, you got May. Everyone after that is gone. Stewart, Hanson, Leggett, Donahue, McGuire, Clark Jones, all gone. 2018, Darnold, stud. I'm, I don't care if he hasn't proven it. I'm, I'm, I'm penciling, pen, I'm writing him in in pen. He's a stud. Nathan <laughs> Shepard, damn, damn good bounce back season from him. Chris Herndon, injured last year, really good rookie season. Like him as a long-term tight end. Parry Nickerson, gone. Fadakasi, breakthrough player of last year. Fantastic. Trenton Cannon, I think he has a shot to hang around as a, as a special teams guy. That class, really, not bad. Nathan Shepard emerging and Fadakasi emerging. That gives you Darnold, Shepard, Herndon, Fadakasi. That's four starting caliber players. And then you got Cannon, who's a nice special team. That's not a bad class. Quinnen Williams, disappointment. Still haven't given up on that kid. Ja'Kai Polite. Alex loved the Ja'Kai Polite pick. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like that one bit. Um, <clears throat> Chuma Adoga. Chuma Adoga, we'll, we'll talk about him at, at a bit more length in a minute. Trevon Wesco, that's Alex's guy. Blake Cashman, not gonna ha- he's going to have a hard time staying healthy. And Bless Austin, probably the, the most surprising, biggest 
pleasant surprise of the draft class last year. So that's the last six, that's the last seven years of Jets drafting. Alex, how low, I mean, Joe Douglas can't be worse than this, right? I mean, barring the, the class of two years ago, which, as I said, is actually looking pretty damn good right about now. But Joe Douglas, he's got these picks. And what I guess what I want to ask you, Alex, I mean, A, can he be worse, which your answer better be no. And, and B, <laughs> I, I understand, you know, sometimes people take this stuff so, like, like we're talking about football for fun because we enjoy it. This isn't, nothing is etched in stone and all that. But if you're the Jets, Alex, because I do this as I, as I run through these simulated mocks, I kind of have in my mind, with the picks the Jets have, how would they break down for you if things went ide- in an ideal scenario? How many linemen, how many receivers, how many corners, you know, how does that break? Because really, there's four or five positions the Jets need to focus the draft on. How would it break down for you with all the picks the Jets have? Uh, so the way that things have been trending with me as far as the simulated mocks, I, I keep seeing myself averaging anywhere between two to three offensive linemen, uh, preferably within uh, the first four picks, um, which is a first, a second, and two-thirds. Um, I've, been, I've been trending a lot in that manner. Um, every now and again, um, you know, I'll go into the fourth round with an interior guy but I've been taking at least three offensive linemen, two wide receivers. So that gives us five picks because we have eight total this year. And then the other three positions that I've been going is edge, cornerback, and running back. And I've been primarily picking just, you know, whoever I think is a fun running back in the seventh round, um, just, you know, for kicks and giggles. Um So that's kind of how it's been. I've been prioritizing the offensive line relatively early um, and then utilizing the, a third round pick and sometimes a fourth, the fourth round pick on the interior aspect of the offensive line. Uh, Cause I do feel that that's where you're going to find your future guards, um, your center. Uh, Maybe you get lucky and you take a project offensive tackle like Chuma Adoga that, within a year or two of tutelage uh, shows enough to become a full-time starter. Um, kind of like something that we're hoping at a Chuma Adoga. So, yeah, I, I've been relying heavily on the offensive line. I think that's a big obvious here. But I'm also a little leery about when I see people that are taking um, other skill set position players with the first pick and then relying on second and third round for the offensive tackle positions. That makes me a little skeptical because I just think of all the struggles that the veterans had trying to run Adam Gase's, you know, crazy uh, running game plan and and how those guys just failed attempt after attempt after attempt. And I can't imagine that the O-line play would improve with having two or three uh, rookie offensive linemen start. Um, I just don't see us flipping the switch. And, and getting Le'Veon Bell back to his 2016-2017 style statistics. Um, but I have been a little bit heavy on the offensive line. Yeah, I know for me, looking at it, I kind of come away O-line and receiver heavy. 
Uh, normally, yeah, normally sprinkle in a back. I, I've been avoiding corner basically because listen, there there not enough picks, too many holes on this roster. The way I view it as, the way I view it is, uh, bless Austin. They're going to count on him to be a, a corner, a starter. And then the Jets grabbing a free agency. You know, when we did our free agency, uh, defensive free agency guys last week, I'd mentioned that corner is probably one of my favorite spots in this in terms of free agency. I think you can get a good one. And I also, you know, again, uh, we'll see how it unfolds. But I don't think that the Jets, I don't think they come out of this draft without adding a couple more picks one way or another. But uh, I've I've been pretty much three O linemen, three receivers, two to three receivers, and an edge. You know the the receivers and edges kind of tend to flip flop, and then just like you, I, I've been grabbing a, a running back in round seven, because um, I you know I I think they could use one. I know that you and I had talked uh, about Reggie Corbin from Illinois. He's a guy who reminds mm-hmm. me an awful lot of Leon Washington. Uh, he's got a lot yep. of giddy up. And uh, I like the idea of having that guy on the roster. So we'll, we'll see how things unfold there. But but in looking at Joe Douglas and what he has to do moving forward, um, what are your thoughts, Alex? On it? And I tweeted this out a little while ago. Um, going into this season, if you look at the top five salaries on the 2020 Jets as of right now, because, of course, Tremaine Johnson's probably going to be gone. He's, he's going to be gone. Um, and Le'Veon Bell might be gone, but as of right now, I'm, I'm going to read them off the Alex. This is, of course, this is per overthecap.com. Check them out if you have any questions, concerns about your team's salary cap over the cap. Uh, so C.J. Mosley didn't play last year. Played a game in a couple quarters. He's due seventeen and a half million. Le'Veon Bell, if he's around, we still don't know if Adam Gase is going to figure out what to do with him. He's due fifteen point five. Tremaine Johnson, he will be gone. He's due to count for 15 against the cap. Jamison Crowder, finally a guy who's not a waste or wasn't a waste this season. And then after him, Avery Williamson, 8.5 million. So that's 17, 5, 15, 5, 15, 10, and 8.5 million for your top five guys. Mosley hardly saw the field. Johnson didn't see the field because he was no good. Williamson didn't see the field because he was hurt. Crowder was as good as expected. And Le'Veon Bell is an absolute mystery to Adam Gase. What, what, what are your thoughts there, Alex? If you're the GM and you're looking at that, um, I know Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News reported today that a source told him that Joe Douglas had very little interest or would have had very little interest in Mosley and Bell uh, the irony there being those are the two highest paid guys on the roster in 2020. Yeah, you know, this is these are the type of contracts, I think, that have laid down a set of tracks that's, head, that's heading down a very, very dark, abysmal, and difficult road. Um, a lot of people uh, were very critical. Uh, when we made these signings because it's always nice to have those big splash signings, but at what cost do they come with? How much risk is involved with these style of contracts? And to be honest with you, every single high-profile contract that Mike McCagnan has offered a player on this team 
has not really worked out for us. Uh, he signed um, Avery Williamson. Uh, we got one solid year out of him. Didn't see him year two. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, we know the story there. Lev Bell was underutilized and underperformed statistically. Mosley never saw uh, you know, more than two games or participated in more than two games this year. Um, even his Henry Anderson contract, um, he's due about $8.3 million this year. And I think we paid him around 7 or $8 million last year as well. And Henry Anderson is a good player, but it seems like the, the scheme that he was worked into with Greg Williams kind of did not put him in a position statistically uh, where we would say that he produced at a high level. As we look at his 2019 or 2018 season, and I think he was right around seven or seven and a half sacks, and he was kind of looking like a player that the Colts gave up on too early, and McCagnan and Todd Bowles figured out a way how to put this guy in the right role, and he looked like he blossomed. And uh, this, this previous year, season, he uh, underperformed statistically, and uh, maybe that's because of the scheme. Now, he was dealing with some injuries throughout the process, so, you know, maybe that's a factor of it. But, you know, you look at all these contracts, even the, the Quincy and Unwa extension that he threw out there. Um, we have $7.8 million thrown into that this year, and we're really not sure if we're going to ever see Quincy on the field again. So the, these are just, uh, you know, contract detrimental, um, at, uh, you know, situations that Joe Douglas is going to have to work around and it's making his job I would say a hundred times harder because this is his first opportunity as a GM to have his own offseason put together his own game plan and he's working with parts from another general manager and now he's being allocated a very small portion of money unless if he makes a series of tough cuts like we had mentioned the the past two weeks um, nobody has a harder job than Joe Douglas right now, as far as I'm concerned. Um, a lot of people think that he's going to be able to right the wrongs this year. I'm not as confident in that. I think it's going to take him at least two years, two off seasons and two drafts to get this team to be a, if everything works out, obviously health wise and all that stuff to be a competitor for Sam Darnold's, you know, hopefully 10 year plus career. I think it's going to take him at least two years to, to fix all the the holes and to get rid of some of these bad contracts and and get his own guys in and, and work with his own, um, you know, brought-in talent. So nobody's got it tougher than Joe, like I stated. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't disagree in that he, it's, it's not all going to get fixed in one offseason. That's just – that's not realistic. Um, I do, though, I, I look back at uh, – you know, as bad as it seems right now, it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating that it's taken this long to, you know, to, to make the, make the progress they've made. It's, it's not quite where you want it to be, but at the same time, I look at that, that 2014 team, that 2014 roster and, uh, you know, what, what, what the Jets had at that point. And it was just an absolute disaster, really. I mean, there was nothing. There were no building blocks. There wasn't a quarterback. There wasn't a tight end. The receivers were at the end of their rope. You know, Robbie, well, I think Robbie was a 
was he a rookie then? Was he starting his rookie year? Whatever it was, it was just it was such a the the, the safety. You know who were the safeties? You had Landry and what Eric Smith, who guys at the, at the end of their career. Who there was just nothing. There was no starting point. Even Brick and Mango, they were still around, but you knew they kind of had two, maybe three good years left in them. So as bad as it seems, you know, it's, you have to, we have to remember it has been a lot worse. I mean, when John Idzik left, you know, keep in mind he had just drafted, what, 19 players, and two or three of them were NFL caliber, which is just absolutely insane when you think about it. Um, you know, Dimitri Patterson was his answer at, you know, was going to be his number one corner um, if the guy hadn't just decided not to show up one day. So things aren't good right now in terms of uh, the amount of work Joe Douglas has to do, but he's got a quarterback. He's got two tight ends, really, with the way Griffin played last year, and I fully expect Chris Herndon to come back healthy. So he's got the quarterback. He's got a couple tight ends. He's got, you know, he doesn't have to worry about looking at safeties. If he re-signs Robbie Anderson, he's got a, he's got a, a wide receiver two and a, and a slot guy. He just needs a wide receiver one. Uh, you know, as I've said before, I think you could live with Beecham. With let, let, let's talk about that actually. Let, let's talk about Beecham real quick. But but to finish up on the on the entirety of the roster, D line doesn't have to worry about it. Plenty of guys in place. Safety, plenty of guys in place. Uh, corner, he's got at least a decent one, or at least he would appear in Bless Austin. So there are some quality pieces in place to start with, but there's still quite a lot to go. But I want to talk about the, the offensive line. And I said earlier when I mentioned Chuma Adoga that we would talk about him. Um, Alex, the more I think about this, Chuma Adoga becomes a really important guy because we we saw last year how much he struggled, but we also saw that he, he's, got, he's got the footwork. You know, we've said before, does he have the work ethic to get into the gym and add the strength that we need him to add in order to be a, a viable candidate to start? So if you're the Jets, you're, they're going to have a mini camp before the NFL draft. So if you're Joe Douglas and you're Adam Gase and you show up to that mini camp and Chuma Adoga looks like the same guy he was, guess what? you got to draft a tackle. Now, if Adoga shows up and he's stronger and he's beefed up and you can tell he's been putting in the work, then maybe you say, look, we can take a right tackle, but maybe we take one in round six or seven instead of three or four. Or maybe we don't take one. Maybe we re-sign Quale and Adoga comes back and we let them duke it out. But a, a basically a strong offseason from Chuma Adoga, to, in my mind, saves the Jets a draft pick. And when you look at the way the drafts have gone and how badly they need picks, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a small thing. And and is he a guy, Alex, from from what you saw from him last year? A- am I crazy to think that he could be a starter if he gets a little bit stronger? Or is he somebody you look at and say, listen, uh, he's either going to be a guy who doesn't make the roster or he's going to make it as a backup? What, 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 do you, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, he's going to play a huge factor into how the offseason and draft is going to go. Um, I know that he had a knee injury when he had left. I think it was some sort of MCL sprain. Um, I'm not sure if he had to have a corrective surgery on that. So 
Who knows if he's going to be able to come back at full strength, like you said, let alone the, the functional upper body strength. Uh, you know, how quickly uh, will he still be? How nimble will he be? And if we're anticipating that he's going to be playing on the left side, which I think is a tall order to ask from him, uh, you definitely want a healthy guy that's not going to be uh, on one leg. Uh, maybe you get by with him on the right side and he's at 85 to 90%, but I still don't even feel 100% confident um, knowing that he's working through a season-ending injury going into year two. And like you said, how motivated is he as a player? Um, you know, is he looking at this like, if I don't come into this off season, um, you know, looking a little bit more muscular and in better shape and, you know, looking like somebody that is not, you know, wet behind the ears as a rookie and is serious about taking on a starter's role, then that would obviously be the best scenario for this team here. Uh, but as you and I have clearly stated, um, you know, multiple times, um, a lot is going to be determined on on his growth um, and how much he invests in himself uh, to come back and, and perform at a starting caliber level. So there's a lot of if, ands, or maybes uh, with Chuma Adoga, and his status is clearly going to uh, – you know, be a major focal point in Joe Douglas's game plan on how he rebuilds this offensive line. I think I just went through the list, and we have five offensive linemen year-to-date on the team. Edoga, Winters, Harrison, Connor McDermott, and Ben Braden uh, is who I'm seeing right now, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but those are the five uh, bodies that they are working with year-to-date and majority of those guys all play uh, guard. And we have one swing tackle in, in Adoga here. So this is a very, very difficult position group. And I think that, you know, no other position is a higher priority at this point. Um, I know a lot of people have been talking about allocating money for Yannick and Gakwe and some other players, and that would be great um, if we could figure out a way you know, schematically to, to put our money in the right area and get a player like that. But I just kind of feel, do you want to look at an offensive line in 2020, like the one we had in 2019, or would you rather see a revamped offensive line from a guy that played the position in Joe Douglas and brings in a bunch of hog molly guys and, and corrects all the wrongs from last year? Uh, that might be the better game plan as far as getting this team back to being more competitive. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it is, you know, we've said before, Joe Douglas being a former O-lineman, he's going to fix the O-line, but it's, it's one of those things where uh, how, how many guys can you count on hitting on? You know what I mean? If, if you, let's say you draft three O-linemen, statistically speaking, one of them is going to be a bust. So yeah. <laughs> You, you you hope like hell it's not the guy you draw, you draft to, to play left tackle, but uh, right. if you take three O linemen, I mean, listen, let, I'm all I I hope he, I hope everybody drafts is awesome, but the reality of the situation is every GM misses, and can you afford to to say okay, well, Joe Douglas drafted two offensive tackles and they're going to start they're starting tackles. Let's say he got Beckton in round one, 
and then you know another highly coveted tackle or any any whichever tackle fell to round two you know there are a few guys that that people kind of view as you know uh potential starters you know, josh jones does, does josh jones fall to round two i don't know that he does after the way he just played but austin jackson is a name we keep hearing as a possible mm-hmm. second rounder um do, if one of those guys falls but that's that's where listen I keep saying it. You've said it. We've. I, I'm pretty sure we've agreed on this. Uh, they should try to resign Kelvin Beecham. But the more I think about that, and I, I can't remember, honestly, Alex, if I said it on last week's show. But the more I think about it, um, another team is going to be able to offer Kelvin Beecham more, more, at least more years. Even if Kelvin Beecham thinks, yeah, I want to stay with the Jets. I want to be a Jet. And the Jets are looking at it like, well, we're, we're going to draft the left tackle this year or next. So we'll give you uh, two years. Uh, you know. At whatever, let's say nineteen million, twenty million, which would be about what he's making now. Well, if you're another NFL team, because teams need left tackles like crazy. Jets fans don't like Kelvin Beachum, well, some fans don't, but I guarantee you, there's some teams out there that would love to have him. And if some other team says, "Hey, Kelvin, uh, you can have a little more stability here with us. We'll give you three years with a you know fourth year option, something like that." Well, Kelvin Beachum, he might just say, "Look, the money's similar." And I, yeah, I know the area, but I'm going to walk because they're going to they're give you more stability there. I'm going to be there for four years. And, and I tweeted this out earlier. What happens if you're the Jets and you try to re-sign Kelvin Beecham and he bails? He's like, nope. Somebody else gave me three years, four years. You're only offering me two. And they offer me a little bit more guaranteed money. Well, now Beecham's gone. And then what if the top four tackles go by 11? Not out of the question. Andrew Whitworth is an option. But Andrew Whitworth is 38. He might retire. He might not. He's in L.A. He's probably only going to play another year or two. He might not want to move his family across country to play one year. People talk about Costanzo in, in Indy. I think there's more talk about him retiring than anything else. So, this is, and again, this is what I tweeted. Let's say the four tackles are gone. Beecham goes somewhere else. Whitworth retires. Costanzo retires. Then who's your starting left tackle? Day one. Do you go out and make an offer for Trent Williams? I mean, you might have to, to be honest. But but in that situation, Joe Douglas, you're asking him, you're saying, Joe, uh, we need you to go out and draft three O-linemen, and we need you to hit on all of them. How realistic is that? It, it's not. It's not. But that's where the senior bowl comes in, Alex. Senior bowl just a few days ago. What were your thoughts? Who jumped out? Who disappointed? Who surprised? Who did you like in the Reese Senior Bowl? Yeah, I, I came away. You know, there was a few guys that were already on my radar <clears throat> uh, prior to this week of practice and the game. Um, one of them was uh, Lloyd Cushardberry from LSU. Uh, obviously, you know, LSU has been marketed everywhere. Um, so if you if you haven't noticed him now, um, you probably will when you go to you know look at some film or YouTube videos. Uh, he plays very very well. Um, he anchors um, like the best that center I've seen. Once he sets his feet, um, there's not a lot of people that can bull rush through him, uh, unless if you know you're a Derek Brown or a uh, uh, the, what's that guy's name, Javon Kinlaw that keeps popping up too. Apparently, he did yeah, very well holding his own against that guy. 
and Kinlaw has been talked about. If, if Derek Brown wasn't in this draft, Kinlaw would be talked about as the best defensive tackle in this class. Uh, so you have to think that, you know, there's a lot of players that did really good for themselves um, in this uh, Senior Bowl week. Um, one that jumps out at me is Nate Shepard, uh, was going up against Hernandez, the guard from the, uh, the Giants that they took in the second round a couple of years ago. And he was talked about as being the most physical, molar, best interior offensive lineman in that draft. And Nate Shepard was going to battle with this guy and winning one-on-ones. Uh, so you look at these practices and you see how these guys have, d- have done um, working with, you know, a professional uh, game plan. Uh, and he did very well. Uh, his teammate, uh, I think it was Damian Lewis, he also did very well. Um, one guy that I was a little disappointed in that I kind of had as a late project sleeper, future right tackle, uh, Calvin, uh, uh, was it Throckmorton? Yeah, Throckmorton uh, from Baylor. He, yes, he he got beat up a little bit. Um, was it Baylor or Oregon? One of the two. I know. It was Sorry, Oregon, Oregon. Oregon. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of green uniforms and, um, stuck in my head. Yep, yep. Um, but you know that was just basically these mid-round edge guys that we've also talked about. Um, the Jets are really not in a great position to come away with like a Chase Young or a Bosa. So they may have to try to look for a Jordan Jenkins style guy in the mid rounds of this draft. And we saw a couple of them this weekend. Uh, the kid Uchi out of uh, Michigan, which I think you've talked about recently, uh, Bradley and I, I think he's from Utah. Uh, you know, one of those like yeah, motor high energy guys, um, Zach Bond from Wisconsin, not exactly a TJ Watt, but maybe a poor man's Watt. And to be honest with you, that poor man's Watt would be better than what we have year to date right now. Um, so, yeah, there was a couple guys from the outside defensive position that, that looked pretty well. And as far as the offensive line, there looks like there's uh, some really good interior guys. And um, I'll end on this guy. Also, Matt Hennessy uh, from Temple is another guy to put on our radar here. Uh, maybe a future guard, possibly a future center somebody in that second or one of those uh, those two third-round picks that we have wouldn't be surprised if he's in conversation for the Jets. Yeah, that's one of those things I always find interesting, um, the way guys just kind of – for me personally, um, you know, we've talked about uh, Tyler Biadish from Wisconsin, who I've liked for – you know, I, I was hoping he was going to come out last year as a possible Jet. He didn't. He's kind of at least – maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like everything I've been – up until the last sort of three to four weeks, said that he was the best center in the country. He could do everything. He can pull his own man, whatever. And, and you know, his own or power, power blocking schemes, whatever you want to do. And that's kind of what I saw from him on film. And now all of a sudden, there's this talk of like Hennessy is over him and, 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 you know, two or three names. And all of a sudden, Beatish is, I don't even really hear his name anymore in the conversation. I'm like, how did this mm-hmm. guy be from it, go from being at the top of everyone's list to all of a sudden no one mentions him anymore? But, uh, but you mentioned Hennessy, and he is a guy. I'd, I'd actually mentioned him uh, the other day. I, I, just, I thought it was funny. There are two sort of family connections here when you look at Hennessy and his brother, of course, being the Jets' long snapper. And then you have uh, on the other side of the ball, or I'm sorry, at receiver – uh, you got Van Jefferson, whose father, of course, is the uh, the wide receiver coach and 
assistant head coach mm-hmm. for the Jets. And Van Jefferson, to me, from everything I saw from him, uh, from, the pra- from the practice clips that came out and from what we were hearing from people who were there, um, I, I mean, I think he did himself some serious favors this week. I think he's a guy who's moved up a lot of boards. And I think I look at him now and knowing that this team needs, you know, depending on what happens with Robbie Anderson, they need a couple new receivers. I'm thinking if you can get Jefferson with one of those third-round picks, I'd have zero issue with that. Absolutely none. I think, uh, you know, the the Jets have to add some pass catchers. Uh, Bradley N.A., who you mentioned, he had, what do you have, three sacks. He was all over the place. He was all over the place. Yeah, he's a guy, honestly, I didn't watch a whole lot of prior to. Uh, prior to the game, but he absolutely, you know, I mean, he looked like an absolute stud out there, and he he probably, I mean, he did undoubtedly help his draft stock. Courtney Day, I'll tell you what, Alex, there are so many receivers in this draft. I feel like I feel like you can get one, you can get a good one in the fifth and a good one in the sixth. I mean, there are that absolutely. many. When I when I see the the number of names, the number of guys out there, and you look at how far they're falling, and some of them are confusing. I mean. I was I was a big fan really heading into this this off season of uh, Minnesota Tyler Johnson, and I feel like oh, he's yeah. another guy. I feel like, I feel like I don't hear his name anymore. You know, I was looking at uh, the draft network the other day. He must have been like the twenty third or twenty fourth receiver listed. And I'm Such a going good into the off season. Yeah, going into the off season, I thought, okay, this guy's going to be a you know one of the top one of the top receivers on the board. And now he's just, he's this is free fall. Where it's it's kind of like what's what's going on here? Where, where is this guy going to go? Antonio Gandy Golden, he's a guy that I mentioned uh, a couple times. That dude, I I went back and watched some of his games. He's a Liberty guy, so obviously not a, not exactly a a football factory Liberty. But man, that guy, the way he can high point the ball, jump up in a crowd and pull it down, big dude, six four six five. He he's somebody I look at and think if you drafted him you could work with him as a red zone target for a year or two, while he kind of rounds out his game to hopefully become a more complete receiver. Chase Claypool, Notre Dame, I think he's a good player. And the, the, a guy that I like even more than him is Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. Well, and Brian some Edwards. you know, yeah, you know, look, somebody, he had some sort of medical right he couldn't participate. Right, right, but but some of these guys, you know. Some of these guys, I mean, the the main guys that jumped out to me most, I think, Courtney Davis is one. You know, I, I thought that he uh, he helped himself out. He he helped out his draft status. I thought Denzel Mims looked good from what I saw. Oh, and Van Jefferson. Yeah, so, so those would probably be three three of the top pass catchers, and that's really kind of where, where the Jets' focus is and needs to be. I mean, Cushenberry, of course, you know, he's kind of – He's all of a sudden being mentioned as, as the top center in the draft. I feel like every week there's a new top center. You know, for for weeks, for months, it was it was it was Beatish, and then I started hearing Hennessy, and now they're saying Cushenberry, and Nick Harris. I thought looked good. Um, Nick Harris, yeah, I was just watching him the other day. Yeah, Nick Harris out of Washington, and, and from what I saw from him, so a lot of guys. You know, the Jets are fortunate in that there are a lot of players. Uh, I feel like this interior O-line class, we keep hearing more and more names of guys that are that are, that are impressing, and whether it's in workouts or in, in the senior bowl, and now, you know, of course, we'll have the combine coming up. So things could, you know, for a change, be breaking in the Jets' favor, which, which would be absolutely fantastic. 
Um, but be actually before I before I go to you, Alex, let's uh, let's uh, thank our sponsor real quick, and that of course being Mile Social. Mile Social. If your business needs help managing all their social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, you name it, they cover it. Check out milesocial.com. That is M-I-L-E social.com for your business needs to cover all of your social media platforms. So, Alex, again, the uh, the O-line, the way these guys have, have jumped off the screen and and receiver. I mean, these are two of the biggest areas of need, the two biggest areas of need for the Jets. And and a lot of guys stepped up. And you know, Cushberry, I, I saw that uh, I saw you comment on someone's on on somebody's tweet. With, between if it's between Hennessy and Cushberry, from what you've seen up to this point, um, who who are you taking? If it's mm. if it's between Cushberry and Hennessy, who are you taking? I'd love to have them both and plug Cushenberry at center and then put uh, Hennessy at right. But uh, I think I would lean toward Cushenberry. Um, no knock against Hennessy because uh, I do think that he's a good player as well. But maybe the level of competition that Cushenberry has faced uh, might be – or he might be uh, in a better position to get thrown into a starting role right away. Uh, so I would lean toward uh, Cushenberry over Hennessy at this point. Um, I still need to do watch a little bit more on Hennessy, uh, but I, I have watched a little bit more of Cushenberry, and maybe that's why I'm favoriting him. Yeah, and that does happen sometimes. That that that's one of the uh, one of the problems I will say, Alex, with uh, when you do what we do, we do this because we're fans of the team, uh, you know. But unfortunately, we have other jobs that don't allow us to watch film, uh, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. So I, I, I know I've done that in the past. I'll watch a player that I like specifically up front, and then I kind of stick with that guy. And I think it, for me anyway, when I look back, I think I think that clouded my judgment a little bit because I was such a fan of that guy after watching his first few games or, you know, two games, three games, highlights, whatever you're watching. Uh, sometimes you do get kind of stuck on a player where you feel like, okay, this is this is the guy, and uh, you you get the the uh, the 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 rose colored glasses on, as they say. So um, so, so the, what's that? No, I was agreeing. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so that's that. That I mean that that covers this week, man. That's the Senior Bowl. That's uh, that's Joe Douglas and how to approach how to approach big ticket free agents. And the you know as we discussed the the disgustingly absurd salaries for the players at the top of the Jets payroll who didn't really do a whole lot this year and it, you know the Jets have to find a way to get more out of those guys next year. But listen, it's entirely possible two of those guys, Le'Veon Bell, Tremaine Johnson, one could be traded, one could be released, and uh, the cap hits will not be light. But um, you know sometimes these things have to be done. But the offseason is rolling along next week, Alex. Alex, next week we next week we will start draft coverage. Um, we've been holding off a little bit, as I've said. Uh, it just it by I I hate that by the end of it I hate the draft because it's weeks and weeks and weeks and we could have started talking draft three weeks ago. Wanted to hold off a little bit. Next week we will we will delve a little bit deeper into some of these prospects and uh, and where we think they might fit. 
So really looking forward to that. And before we go, of course, Alex, I need your Super Bowl prediction. Niners. Oh, yes, of course. Chiefs. Um, Who you got? Yeah, so this is tough. Um, I've been advocating for the 49ers. My cousin Irving, love you, big guy. Uh, I know you've been dying all year. Um, So I'm kind of leading towards the the 49ers um, just because of family influence. Uh, my, My cousin Irving's been a huge fan of the Niners going way back to the Montana days. So I kind of feel like he's too. Uh, but I really do like Mahomes, and I like what Kansas City's doing. They're very exciting. So I'm just looking for a really, really good game. But if I have to choose one, I'm, I'm kind of siding with the Niners. And um, before I throw it back to you, uh, there's also some weird thing that's going on with a cornhole championship down in Miami this uh, weekend. Yes. And yes. apparently Darnold is squaring off against Daniel Jones of the Giants. So. Um, I guess that's inner New York uh, kind of stuff here. Uh, and I think it's going to be televised Friday night on ESPN. So something fun and lighthearted. And, uh, you know, hopefully Darnold kicks uh, Daniel Jones' butt any way he can, any form of competition. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I saw that uh, that tweeted out today by a couple of different places, and I that, that gave me a good laugh. That's they, look, it's a little bit of fun, right? A little bit of off-season fun. <laughs> That's our post-season. You're not in the Super Bowl, might as well go enjoy yourself. Uh, as far as the Super Bowl, man, I can't pick. I feel like this is going to be the, – the, 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 the possibilities are endless. I think, I think if Kansas City wins, it's going to be a little bit closer than if – I think if San Fran wins, it's going to be a blowout. I think if they win, it's going to be because they overwhelm Mahomes and get to him and hit him and rattle him so much that he can't get anything going. And if San Fran wins, it's a San Fran blowout. If Kansas City wins, it's going to be a little bit closer, maybe 10-point game. But um, I keep flip-flopping on this. I keep flip-flopping on this because I love defense, man. I'm a defense guy. And I'm going to pick the Niners. I'm picking San Fran, but I understand that since I picked San Fran, Mahomes is probably going to go out and throw 11 touchdowns. Um, but, yeah, I'm going with the Niners. I think their defense is going to do enough to keep Mahomes rattled. And it, 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 it it's funny because I thought of this the other day, so I'm not, I'm not uh, plagiarizing, I'm not stealing here, but I heard Trent Dilfer talk about it yesterday, um, that, that, that Broncos – Actually, he mentioned the uh, – I was thinking of the Broncos-Seahawks uh, when uh, Peyton Manning, leading the greatest offense the world had ever seen, put up three <laughs> points because Seattle's defense came out playing so fast, they completely overwhelmed them. And then you think of the Dolphins team that lost to the Niners when Marino threw the 8 million touchdown passes. Um, teams I, – I feel like teams play a little bit faster – in the postseason, I mean, I think we know they do, but I think I think the defenses, as long as as long as San Fran, and I think they will, I think they'll keep Kansas City off the field long enough that they'll be well rested, and Jimmy G and that run game is going to chew up some clock. So I am I am picking the Niners while fully aware of the fact that that all but guarantees a Chiefs win. 
But uh, that's it for me this week. Alice, you got anything else for us, bud? No, it's been a great week and uh, looking forward to uh, working it all out with the free agency talk and the draft. Uh, we're we're going to get through this and we're going to be a better football team this year. This year is going to be the year. God help me if I have to do that again next year. Yeah, the the year what? The year that the Jets aren't a complete embarrassment? Or the year <laughs> the Jets are going to the playoffs? Or the year the Jets are going to the what? The year that what, Alice? you got to be specific here. Yeah, I'll leave that as a cliffhanger, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that, too. This is going to be the year. <laughs> I'm not going to say the year of what. I'm just going to say it's going to be the year. And then when yeah, people say, uh, dude, you said this was the year, I'm going to be like, yeah, it's the year we were going to go 2-14. That's I just didn't finish my sentence. So, uh, so we'll have to bring back old takes that blew up in our face. We'll have to pencil that in for one of our future no, shows. No, I was drunk during every one of those bad takes. <laughs> and, uh, Alex, if the Jets play in London this year, you got to come out for it. That's uh, one thing I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, would be hey. a fantastic time. And that's it for us this week. Jets fans, thanks so much, as always, for tuning in. And we will have some uh, – some, we'll dig deep a little bit next week covering some uh some draft preview and and dig a little deeper on some of these prospects thanks so much for tuning in have a great evening thanks for listening be sure to follow us on twitter at jet nation radio glenn is at ace fan 23 and alex is at ny jets life 24 until next time go jets